unfortunately, unlike in the wizarding world, the tool you need is not just happens to be right there next to you. You can't just go to fucking Ace Hardware and get a fucking basilisk tooth, okay? Yeah. I feel like Back to the Future right now. Yeah. I'm sure in 1985, plutonium's at every street corner, but here it's kind of tough to come by. That's what's so fucked up about this movie, is that I saw the knife, and I... I was relieved. I was like, oh, good. It's, like, it's oh, just oh, killing the baby. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's just killing the baby. Fight the power by a public enemy being played over a montage of white people hugging is the sound of my soul dying. Wait for it to come out on video on demand yeah. and put oh, the kids in a different shows. room. Oh, well, why or, would you put the kid in a different room? Because you don't want them to see a child getting murdered. They need to ha- learn. Having their blood splayed over an old woman who's like either churning butter or masturbating in a darkened corner. I couldn't tell. That's the winner right there. I'll I explain just... the difference, by the way, after the podcast. <laughs> God. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, dear. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode, the usual crew is joined by a new special guest as we review the newly released horror film The Witch and discuss the 2016 Academy Awards. This year, things are going to be a little different. In the In Memoriam package, it's just going to be black people that were shot by the cops on their way to the movies. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 53 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Hello. Hello. I'm glad you guys decided to actually be here for this episode, unlike last week when we had fucking crickets. So oh, I'm good. sorry. I didn't feel like saying hello, and frankly, I don't think I should have to say hello. Ooh, damn. Why is that? I don't know. I was just tired that week. <laughs> this is an audio-based program. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. Okay. Damn, you're such a prima donna. He is, though, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. He is. Yeah. Just trying to play into my stereotype. <laughs> His well, role. You are succeeding, sir. Yeah. So on this episode, we will be talking about the uh, new horror film, The Witch, which uh, debuted last year at the Sundance Film Festival and has made its way to theaters in most areas. Mm-hmm. And we're also going to talk about the Academy Awards, uh, which just took place a couple days ago. However, it's not just the three of us, as uh, per usual. We do have a guest on the show. Who's that? I'm going to tell you (laughs) right now. Her name is Jess, uh, and she is joining us. So thank you very much, Jess, for being here today. Hi, Jess. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. So, Jess, um, for the the audience, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself as a field film, as a film viewer, <laughs> as a film, yeah, oh dear, as a film viewer, uh, and also what some of your favorite movies are. Okay, well, um, I love horror movies and science fiction and uh, drama and 
<laughs> I don't know. Um, I watch a little bit of everything, but that's what I mainly stick to. Okay. And then my favorite movie would be Eddie and the Cruisers, which none of you have seen. <laughs> no, I, uh, my dad listened to the soundtrack uh, over and over. But... I had never heard of it, so. Yeah, it came out in like 83. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, old-ish. <laughs> and then, of course, the Star Wars films and the Scream series. We love yeah. the Scream series. Yeah. Well... Yeah, I love the Scream series. <laughs> Not speaking for everybody, we love the Scream series. Means he and Nick. I I think it's and okay. Jess. Oh, <laughs> you're outnumbered. Yeah, I am. I usually Boom. am. <laughs> but yeah, Star Wars. You're speaking my language. Yeah, love the Star Wars series. Grew up with that. I've been watching it since I could watch. <laughs> cool. Good stuff. All right, very good. And and horror movies, obviously, you're a fan of. Is uh, you wanted to do an episode on the witch. So, um, yeah. what would you say is your favorite part of the of the horror genres? It kind of has subsections. Um, I'm really into the gritty horror, like very gory ones. Ooh, okay. <laughs> but I like ones that actually have. Um, like a story to them. I don't like the ones that have just jump scares, no plot. It has to have some depth. So cool. So yeah. you were a big fan of the Saw series then? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for three. Part three is Hey, bad. you know what? <laughs> I, I like the third one, but Nick thinks it's like the greatest thing ever and I, I There's a don't... far cry between me thinking that that's the greatest thing ever and me <laughs> thinking that it's my favorite movie of that franchise. Mm. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Well, that's which which Saw film is your is your favorite? I'm interested to know. Uh, that's kind of hard because I think four, five, six, and seven are all basically one long movie. Yeah, that is true as far as the plotting. Yeah, yeah, it's just uh... so it's like. And five was a big part of that lawn movie section. <laughs> yeah, so it's like one, two, three, and then four, five, six, seven is all just one. So hmm. like that long ending segment is my favorite. Oh, okay. Hmm. Cool. I I totally see that in the sense that that's I probably prefer those movies that came before it, and yet that's when the insanity gets ramped up to a very entertaining degree. Yeah. And when you threw uh, 3D in there too, and they could pretty much do like Fozzie Bear type things where they're like throwing something at the camera and like, oh, it's 3D. Waka waka. Yeah. With the uh, the mirror shattering into like the, uh, the the police station, I thought that was really cool. Speaking of, since I don't know that we've even mentioned it, even though there's really nothing to mention yet, but it was official that they green-lighted Saw 8. I heard about that. Terrific. Yep. So, and it will you. be Saw 8. It will not be like oh. the new Saw franchise. It is another uh, continuation, so that Look, should just be hilarious. Looks like uh, Tobin <laughs> Bell will be able to pay his heating bill now. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I got to admit, like it... Sounds like an awful idea, and I will be there day one. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people will go see it, and um... it's bound to get. I would say, I would think more money or more whatever than the last movie because it was a pretty abysmal outing. Like even though it was the last one, it was like mm, didn't do as well of... as the early ones, but it did better than five and six. I, I guess, believe. Yeah, I guess if you slap on the final whatever but number six was a bomb that is true mm. did not do well even though i was a big fan of it but yeah i guess we'll have to see what happens with the saw series it's it'll be something they mm. came they saw and they conquered <laughs> oh 
You and your puns. Uh, he's a great jokester, this one. Let me tell you. <laughs> Please, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for uh, sharing some of that with us, Jess, and, and the audience as well. Um, before we get to talking about The Witch, though, let's talk about the uh, recently... Uh, Concluded. Yeah, there you go. Academy Awards season that uh, had the... The big show uh, a couple days ago with Chris Rock doing his his thing. Doing Chris Rock things. Uh, and basically talking about race the entire... Because that's what you do when uh, when the Oscars are being boycotted because like no um, actors of color are being nominated for their roles, but they are being like trotted out to sort of like show, hey, we like diversity too. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. So yeah, that that happened, and Spotlight won Best Picture, which yeah. I think uh, me and Nick were pretty pretty happy about. I was very happy about that. Yeah. Even though I liked The Revenant more, I was kind of pulling for Spotlight to win Best Picture, so I was happy with that choice. Mm-hmm. I was pulling for it as well. Mm, shocking. The other kind of favorite for Best Picture is The Big Short, which I think you actually preferred to Spotlight, right? No, or not? no, no? Oh, okay, no, no, no. it's. Uh, I would say I. They're right up there, but no, Spotlight was in my top ten. The big, oh, okay. the big short was not. Very good. Cool. So, yeah, uh, not that many surprises other than um, uh, other than Ex Machina winning Best Special Effects. Which Mark was, Rylance. And Mark Rylance was the other surprise, winning Best Supporting Actor for Bridge of Spies and not sending the wax figurine of Sylvester Stallone up to the stage to accept his award and not thank any of the African-American people who worked on the movie Creed. Basically made it happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So that was basically, you know, the awards. I will say for me personally, the one disappointment I had was that uh, The Revenant didn't win either of the sound awards, which I absolutely love the sound design in that film. So that was too bad. My favorite part was how many awards that Mad Max Fury Road got. Yeah, oh, that yes. was the big winner of the night, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yep. won six awards mm-hmm. and all pretty much technical awards, but that's okay. It was a technically great movie. And yeah. you know, that's the the downfall of when you're a movie like The Revenant, when you're nominated for so many, it it lost nine mm-hmm. nine awards. Like you know, it's like on the one hand that looks like the big thing before the ceremony, and then on the other hand, after the ceremony, it looks a little less big. But whereas something I would say like Mad Max, when it was nominated for all those uh, awards, they actually walked away with the most awards and yet a lot of people were thinking that it was barely going to get recognized not necessarily <laughs> that it wasn't going to win any of the technical awards but that it wasn't going to be this unstoppable machine that it was yeah and you know the revenant still even though it only won three it did win a couple of the big awards which was best director and best leading actor so yeah. um but yes uh some of the awards that it, people thought it was going to win it did not so that's okay yeah also i'm I have a hard time believing that The Revenant won for Best Actor. I feel like Leonardo won for Best Actor. I mean, that, that's true, but not really. he was in the film The Revenant. So. Well, it's like Denzel Washington winning for Training Day. It's like, aren't we just giving him an award just because at this point? You know what? I, I've, I've heard that argument before, and I can almost like agree with it, because it seems like Denzel, like before Training Day, he got passed up for a lot of really great roles that he was a part of. And then... Like I think he was, he was. I think he was Malcolm X. Yeah, he was Malcolm X. Okay, thank he you. Was. Yeah, I'm. I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head. <laughs> the movie something. we saw together. I know that we that saw you together. Said you loved. I know. I did love it. And I was just like, he's he's done so many great roles. That's just how good he was in that. You thought he was Malcolm dude, X. Dude, don't even put me on blast. Like right now, it was like it's hard for me to like remember. Yeah, like, he actually back. thought it was Carl Weathers playing. <laughs> you <laughs> shut the hell up, baby. Yeah, baby. You got a revolution going. <laughs> 
I'm going to whoop that Russian's butt. Okay. Um, <laughs> he had a lot of really great roles, but it seemed like they were just like throwing it to him. And he like had a lot of contention with getting like like an award for that just because like, oh, I have to play a bad guy. Oh, I have to play a corrupt, dirty cop in order to be able to get a role like that. Yeah. To get an award. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, or in Leo's case, oh, you have to eat a liver. You got to eat it. And uh, yeah. If he would have I, eaten the fake liver, it would talk. have been Michael Fassbender. <laughs> I want to talk for one moment. Oh, here uh, we go. This will be the only Revenant bashing I do. Here we go. Okay? I mm-hmm. just I, I have to, and then I'll pass it off to everybody else. This is like a I, knife in Alex's soul here's, right now. Here's the thing, though. No, no, but just, I think this is actually pretty level-headed mm. uh, once you hear what I have to say, Alex. So bear with me here. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Can, can I ask you one question really quickly? Could no, you, I didn't plan that. Could you could you at least grant me that you think that the sound design in the film was actually really good? Like, actually, like I don't know that I would grant that. I, I don't know. I think it was less showy than like all the other aspects of it. So therefore, it did its job and it did it. Well. I would agree, Alex. Thank you, Tucson. Yes. But, like, really good. Like, I didn't notice anything about it until you started pointing things out, and I kind of still don't really latch on to it. So, mm-hmm. I, I, what I'm trying to say is, like, if you were to try to fight me on, like, Leo's acting or the cinematography, I would have an actual debate. So, I guess I'll, I'll concede to it because I don't have strong opinions uh, mm-hmm. on, on the other side of the fence. But, no, it did not draw me in, in, okay. in any way. Go back to your original point. So I just want to make a case here as to why Inuritu winning best director was the worst award of the night okay mm. and it has nothing to do with my the fact that i hated the revenant that's a separate okay it's probably yes influences my <laughs> thoughts but it is not my sole deciding factor because i want to say something and that i genuinely think george miller should have won for i agree mad max Fury road a movie that i also did not like because that's just not my thing uh but i am conceding that like here's the thing last year Birdman came out and Inuridu directed that, and he won the award. And for, shouldn't have won. And probably shouldn't have, no. Uh, I feel like everything good about that movie had nothing to do with him, because, you know, uh, Emmanuel Lubezki is a cinematographer, cinematographer, and, you know, like, just all the other And actors. also, too, Boyhood uh, yeah. was out last year, and that, that should have true. won for Best Director. Uh, as yes. why am I blanking on his name right now? Richard Linklater. As Richard Linklater gave 10 years of his life to working on that project and was the heart and soul of it and it was still a good film and in my world just like with george miller you gave something more than just moving a production from canada to argentina he should have uh corralled something he should have made 11 years yeah should have made 11 years should have eaten the real liver (laughs) (laughs) so going back to okay so inaritu won for best director last year okay and you know what i can even concede that i can understand that on the on the sole basis of the fact that he made a movie about a whiny director who keeps asking why the critics don't love him you know so there obviously there was a little bit as much as michael keaton was playing himself he was also half playing inaritu himself so maybe it was his day of the sun okay uh, so if he won uh, that award last year, now fast forward to this year, uh, there, there's something sick to me that he would win it for this movie uh, following that movie because, A, it means he's joining the ranks of a very, very exclusive club. I think only John Ford and one or two other directors have ever won it back-to-back. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, like just that very merit means that you have to have done something I would say groundbreaking or exemplary, whatever. Uh, and just going off the basics of what 
the the award should mean because i think people are now getting confused with like technical aspects like well if it just looks great like lubezki does great cinematography or if it if you have people eating liver bison then let's give it to the director because what else did he do nothing but we have to give him an award or whatever because here's the thing uh uh to basically from all the accounts that we've been told publicly through journalism and whatnot basically abused his cast and crew. They had to pick out this location that he couldn't accept anything else. They all went over there. They all froze their ass off. He went over budget by millions of dollars almost immediately. Uh, He made, like, I don't know if he made or whatever, but he created an environment in which actors believed that they had to eat a real liver in order to get the truth out or whatever. And yet you have somebody like George Miller who is doing things that I can't understand how they're actually done and yet staying, you know, on budget, on time, and actually creating an environment where people can work and like that's what best director means and i cannot believe that that we just awarded the biggest egoist in hollywood right now uh as a reaction to what he just put out the year before like it's just insane. more to say about the academy than it does about him i think because i well, feel no, like that's what I'm his, to say. his, like, his that's name a ended horrible up, choice ended up catching steam late in the game when they were actually doing the voting for the award instead of the nominations <laughs> and people who didn't even think nearly as far as you've thought about it, just checked his box off and said, That's what I mean. I'll I, go with it. I feel like the best director category needs to be defined, not redefined, because I feel like we haven't defined it in like <sighs> decades, because I genuinely don't think the Academy actually thinks about what directing means, other than were there a few good shots in the movie? Was their performance is good? Like, yes, a director oversees all that, but mm. part of that also has to be like, how well did you do your job? Like, if if you have, if you don't give boss of the year awards to people who simply like get good numbers at a corporate office, you you, you also have to take into account feedback and like the work environment that they create. You know, so I don't know. It's just like there's something perverse in my opinion of how little that category means and yet now how much is danger is how much portent it's being being put on it I, and, yeah. I th- and i think that like another another cosign that i think that i i totally agree with um your assessment that george miller should have won and not just because that film is very close to my heart even though it kind of like went down a couple of notches in my reassessment of uh, like for our, our our top six films of last year like Going back to like his his persistent focus over the the development hell of making this film, this is a guy who directed Babe, Pig in the Big City, and Happy Feet. Yeah. Over the course of time, it took in order to make this. Like he was literally working on fucking Happy Feet, and he was able to look back at his production artists who were doing like the polecat things, how they were able to actually physically do that without CGI. And he's coordinating with them while directing fucking Happy Feet, okay? For a man to have that kind of Herculean focus to rest a film, to be able to do that while working on tonally just like antithetical films to that, like he deserves to be recognized for it. And he also got a perfect white swirl in his hair. I mean, (laughs) that doesn't happen on accident. That is true. Wizard, I don't know. (laughs) But what you're bringing up is also showing, in my opinion, what he does that somebody like Inuritu doesn't, which is how did, like, the only question I have about how the production of The Revenant happened is how did he make this movie in less than a year? And the only 
sane answer is emotional, physical, and probably financial abuse. Like, it's just, you know, like, he can't actually... Cooper like, did that shit, too. I was going like, to say, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean to, like... Yeah. Like, and I'm not saying he should have won the same level. best director, either. Yeah. Like, I, I, I love his films, and I don't love all of Inaritu's films, so I, I concede to that fact, but I also am not advocating for Kubrick to one, like, best directors. He directed Babel, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, Inaritu, yeah. Who here has seen Babel? I have. I have not seen Babel. I, I, I didn't even know, like, half the films that he made. Like, I think he made, like, 28 grams or something. Yep. He made yeah. that. He uh, made that. Amores, uh, Peros. made the, uh, the Beautiful or whatever. Yep, beautiful, yeah. uh, Babel, and now uh, Birdman and uh, The Revenant. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so. but uh, yeah, Babel's okay. It's like a I crash. Did like grams. Did you? Yeah. I've heard people that like his first two, especially like, people who like now hate him, say that they like 21 Grams and Amoris Peros. Mm. Yeah, that was a solid film. Yeah, before he disappeared up his own ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you see The Revenant or, or not? I did not. Oh, okay. I'm not missing out. Uh, I'm not a... Big Leo fan. Ooh, Ooh so Ouch. you loved it when he got that Oscar, didn't you? I felt like it was just a pity win. Ooh, so oh, damn! Wow. <laughs> Shot fired. Speaketh the truth. Yeah, because you know that's never happened before at the Oscars. If anything, nope. he should have gotten it for The Departed. Whoa. See now, see now, Nick, who just gave you all that, is just going to turn his shoulder because he hates The Departed. So. I, I wouldn't say I hate it, but mm. I, I think it's such an unnecessary movie because mm. it's, uh, it's a remake. It's, well, it's a remake of a movie that's actually not as good as The Departed. But then it's like if that was what we were going for, then I don't know. But okay. I haven't seen it in forever, so I really don't even remember anything other than Alec Baldwin yelling. Yeah, well, he definitely made that a big part of the film. So let's talk a little more about uh, other things on the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, Can we talk about Chris Rock? We, we're we going to get there. No. Just, just give it a second. Was he even in, in the O.S. ceremony? <laughs> Bruh. I, I wanted to mention one thing, and that was uh, people uh, get obsessed with how people looked and what they were wearing and all that shit. I was taking notes. Yeah. Um, I will say I did catch a photo of Vince Vaughn there, and he looked Awful. Really? Like, he looked like he... Going to the Googles. Probably should be, like, getting himself cleaned up a Do little bit. soup and a like blanket and somewhere to sleep tonight? Because, like, I got a couch, man. It's, it's all right. Yeah, I mean... Are you sure been... it wasn't another white guy? Like, that magazine that thought that uh, Whoopi Goldberg was Oprah? What? Yeah, that's a real thing that happened. <laughs> really? This I don't year? know what... Ma- somebody, but some magazine tweeted, look how gorgeous Oprah looks. Get and the fuck out of here. Was, uh, Ooh, yeah, that's a picture of his Holy shit. Circa I'm telling you, dude, he looks like he looks like Vincent Price like on his deathbed. Like it, not good. Don't remind me that Vincent Price is dead. What? <laughs> he looks like how he looked in the Psycho remake, but he just kept going with it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like he's been in jail now for 15 years, and, and, and... but he's been as Norma. <laughs> God damn! Oh dear! All right, so that's really so, one I wanted to get out quickly. Did you have something else before? I just we get want to, Chris to clarify Rock? what I was talking about. Okay, which is that Total Beauty magazine tweeted, "We had no idea Oprah was tatted, and we love it." Hashtag Oscars and a picture of Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> wow! And uh, Oprah uh, 
I think, tweeted back, and that's how it was discovered. Well, everybody else <laughs> knew, but the magazine didn't really concede to their uh, error until Oprah tweeted back a picture of her arm showing, like, uh, I don't see any tattoos or, you know, something mm. cheeky. So, mm. so, yeah, there's your uh, daily dose of racism. Yeah, well, speaking of uh, racism, Chris Rock hosted uh, the Academy Awards. Everybody's as... looking at me now. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, you happen to be sitting here, I know. Yeah. I, I don't think we were staring at you like we speaking look at of racism you a lot during this podcast. <laughs> what? So, Chris Rock, uh, if you watched the Kemi Awards, mm-hmm. you know he hosted, uh, and I believe did a terrific job during his opening monologue. And unfortunately, then um, I feel like all the A material got thrown into the opening monologue, and then we saw the B and C stuff throughout the rest of the show, and it was not always very great so what did you guys think about chris rock and do you think that it got a little a little i would say old as as the night wore on i think that considering all the the sort of like circle of controversy that has been like the 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 wagon car like uh of controversy that's just been circling this entire entire uh like ceremony this year and that chris rock didn't want to um like not attend the Oscars because he felt like somebody had to like represent and stuff. I can, you know, I can understand and appreciate that. I thought his opening monologue was really good, Mm -hmm. but I thought as the night went on that it really got very uncomfortable for me as a black person because it seemed like he was, it, it seemed like the, the Academy is trying to acknowledge like the absence of diversity and almost this, this glass ceiling for really exceptional, like, actors of color, whether or not they be black or whether they be the Indian or Native American or Asian or anything like that. Seems that, like- that, that was that was definitely one of the things I noticed that yeah. they just totally whiffed on with this is uh, other than one comment that he made about it. Yeah. Like they spent the entire time just talking about instead of not talking about racism yeah. among the Academy, but specifically and only racism towards African-Americans. Yeah, and, and it really was, was very uncomfortable for the fact that like he was sort of like taking the piss out of that. And it was like, you know, I understand that there are, there are larger things that are to be debated. It's like, especially like there's the sphere of culture and there's the sphere of like social activism and stuff. Like you, the, the whole, whole concession that like, you don't have anything to protest or worry about because you're not getting sprayed with fire hoses. You're not getting beaten up, but people are getting beaten up for other things that are very important. And it's just like, and not only that, but also to pan to this entire stadium that's filled with like, white people just kind of like shrugging and and like uncomfortable laughing and clapping along is like well there's really not much else they could do that dug into like the pit of my say, soul like, a little the bit the reaction of the audience i don't know should be judged by like because I, like you're at an award show and are you just then gonna i know if they sat there and did nothing then that would actually i think be racist yeah. like like they don't want to hear it well and also too like when there's a camera getting panned in like right at matt damon like he can't not clap and at least like have a smirk on his face Face. Yeah, it's it's like some, the alternative is so much worse. <laughs> I, I I can understand that, but then like having it, it felt like the entire sentiment of this ceremony and with like Chris Rock's like shtick was to flout controversy as if it was a plume that they attached to their actual like suits. And I was just like, yeah, we're like we're really controversial this year. Look at Stacey Dash who said that black people can't actually like. 
um, boycott uh, the Oscars because BET doesn't recognize white people even though they do because she's fucking ignorant. But I'm here to represent my people for Black History Month. Hi, everybody. I'm just like – Well, that joke literally not a single person in the entire auditorium uh, laughed at. Probably because like – and, and I think probably because, probably because a lot of people didn't even know about I was going to say, shit. that was a pretty obscure joke as far as like putting a face to a name. Yeah. Like, I had I, heard those comments. I just didn't know if that was the person. And I'm not even sure I would even laugh if I, I, I did make say, that connection. I have to say, this is probably bad, but I, when she came out, I'm like, is that actually her? Or is that, did they just find someone who kind of looks like Stacey I mean, Dash? they did that for um, for Suge Knight, which I also thought was kind of... But that was the actor who played the, Chuck Knight, so that's a... I there were some weird... Let, let's talk about Nick uh, brought something up to me already yeah. that he thought was awful, that which was, was the, the Tracy Morgan bit. That was the worst moment of the entire... Uh, and I'm not trying to prioritize no. which you know controversy should get more attention or whatever, but the most, for me, insensitive moment, and conf- at least Chris Rock is, I would say, shedding light on a serious thing, was Tracy Morgan, and I'm not blaming him, mm-hmm. but somebody wrote this... Uh, uh, as the quote-unquote Danish girl, because as far as I've heard that from people that I trust, uh, but I won't say it's my opinion, but I've heard not good things about the Danish girl from uh, transgender people that I've talked to. Uh, so it's not so much that I'm trying to defend the Danish girl, but if that is a movie that is supposed to be, like Eddie Redmayne will constantly talk out of his ass about, uh, if that is supposed to be starting a conversation about transgender rights and like how you know equality is you know and all that jazz, then why are we doing the most baseless and t- insensitive and completely offensive joke known to man when it comes to uh, just transgender depiction, which is look how funny it is when a man's in a dress. Because we like to, because at least the Oscars seems like a a space where people like to clap themselves on the back and tell themselves how progressive they are, but at the same time indulge in the same type of baseless prejudice that they 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 try to But that's put the down. problem with, and that's I think part of what Nick is is getting at here that you are talking about, oh, look at how horrible we are. At the same time, you're like doubling down, stomping. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, no, it's for sure. It's, uh, That's what this whole thing was on. It it's was. a horrible two-way street where we're heading nowhere fast in either direction. Uh, if not, at least in that instance, two steps back probably. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm with you, Alex, in the sense that I think that the monologue was fantastic start to finish. And it was pretty long too. Like, it, mm-hmm. So that's pretty good that it didn't feel long or anything like that. Uh, and I also agree that pretty much everything after the monologue, as far as all of Chris Rock's, Chris Rock's bits uh, after that, I would say it was a mix of diminishing returns and, yes, like pretty much just unfunny material. And the worst part about that is like by the end of the night, I felt like his message was counterproductive because mm-hmm. he had gotten everything he wanted to say, or at least I think he should have said, and then he kind of only gave <laughs> – those really annoying people you talk to at work the next day who say like, oh man, I just, I wanted him to shut up about the whole race controversy. Like he only gave them material basically to, right. to, to ignore. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why I was a little uh, saddened by the fact that it did. But I will say one bit that it completely worked for me because I am kind of, I like to play devil's advocate, and mm. I kind of loved that whatever was uh, his bit outside the movie theater. Oh, yeah, that was, that was pretty good, actually. I actually did at least love that acknowledgement that this isn't just a white person problem. Like, mm. it's like, 
you know, it's like we need advocacy from both sides. Otherwise, why do you think the other side's going to listen to the other side and whatnot? Uh, yeah, yeah. There were a lot of films that I was surprised that they hadn't heard of. And it was like, and the, and there well, was, it's like jaywalking though. Like they picked no, the I'm best not of the bunch they, to right. throw in there. No, I'm, and I'm to, but what I'm trying to say is at least maybe something I should clarify is that like I absolutely agree with the notion that if we like like there is a need for things like Tyler Perry movies because. The less we do, like, shall we say, integrate, like, you know, just human beings into any movie, the more there is going to be a need for, like, somebody to come along and create an outlet for identification on screen. I would very much like a world where BET was not necessary. Exactly. And Tyler Perry. Yeah. And Tyler Perry. (laughs) I I would very much like a world where BET and Tyler Perry were not necessary. Especially when you're gotten to the point as horrible as Tyler Perry's become where when he does something good like Gone Girl like oh wow that was really shocked we forgot (laughs) before we uh, get done with the Oscars and Jess do you have any any thoughts on anything we've been talking did you get a chance to see the Oscars or not so much I did not oh okay but I I'm in the loop like I know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. so but uh I loved the Mad Max one so much like that was great yeah awesome but, uh, yeah, I'm not a big Chris Rock fan. <laughs> I really wish, like, Jimmy Fallon had uh, had done the Oscars this year. I think he would have been hilarious. Hmm. But, yeah. <laughs> well, one quick last thing I wanted to mention. Yeah. Um, so I, I had one very strong opinion about something, and it involves a oh, race in the Oscars. And that involves Spike Lee. And I have got to put him on blast now, and he fucking deserves it. Because let me tell you, you cannot be out front, in front of everybody... Leading the charge. Leading the charge exactly is perfectly right. Is exactly right. Leading the charge about how you are going to boycott the Oscars, and you are going to lead protests, and you're not showing up, and you don't care what it is, you're not going to be there, and you don't even want to talk about it, and even if someone says something about how they might try to change some things, you're not going to reconsider, and then fucking show up and collect your Oscar at the other Oscar night. What? Get the fuck out of here with that shit, Spike Lee. Dude. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to admit, before the, the ceremony or anything like that, I, I never took him seriously because nobody's really taken him seriously since maybe 25th hour and probably not even since before then. Right. Uh, uh, so it doesn't surprise me one bit that he did that, uh, which is unfortunate <laughs> because that is completely uh, illogical and <laughs> stupid. I mean, I mean, what happens when somebody doesn't collect an Oscar that they just like throw it in like that molten pit from like no, Judgment some, Day? someone else comes in... in accepts it on their behalf or something like that but you can't fucking do that and then show up at the other night and collect your fucking trophy yeah. <laughs> yeah i like when they showed the highlight of that i was dumbfounded i'm mm-hmm. like are you fucking serious he actually showed up at the other night to get the fucking trophy yeah that's oh, I, I can't I can't defend that at all. That's really, <laughs> that's really shady. That was really shady of him to do that. That's fucked. I didn't even know about that. Yeah. yeah. Damn. That was one of the biggest, I would say, down, not downfalls, but uh, unfortunate aspects surrounding the controversy of uh, the Academy's lack of diversity is that the most vocal uh, people of color 
were the people that were essentially not invited, so to speak, as, as, as Chris Rock kind of pointed can out. I, can I, like, retell that Chris Rock joke that he said about Jada Pinkett Smith and how, like, she decided to boycott and was like, well, you know, like, you getting invited to the Oscars is like me getting invited to Rihanna's panties. Like, you weren't invited to begin with. I'm just like, who the fuck are you? And he doubled down on it and said, well, I'd still go there anyways if I was. I'm like, oh. I mean, I think the Rihanna panties line was like... He was just trying to draw... Fortunate and not whatever, but I think he's... I think he's addressing something that should have gone addressed uh, long before the ceremony started, which is that if everybody is apparently in agreement, then the loudest people should not be the people that look like they have something to, you know, to, I don't know, something, some game to play, so Mm, to speak. And that, and that they have like, we didn't get a single person who it's not like we really heard from. And I'm not saying like it's any one person's duty. It's not like I'm looking at, I'm just going to name random people, but like she would tell each of four or something like, we're like, we need to know what he thinks or something like that. But there, there is something disconcerting about the idea that people who, on, that are not like Jada or Spike Lee, <laughs> who may or may not have had movies uh, come out uh, this year that should or should not have been recognized. Mm-hmm. Uh, that none of them did stand up, and I think that that that's that's where the ultimate I think game of like racism comes into play. Is that I feel like we cultured an environment where they can't, and like that's pretty sad and fucked up. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully, in the years that come, uh, more and more people like it, as much as I rag on the fact that Chris Rock's bits got more and more unfunny by the end. Because I agree with you, Alex. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't change a thing because of the fact that. Hopefully, because this is the only way I can think of us actually affecting change. Hopefully, the stuck-up white conservatives, whatever, uh, get so annoyed by it that they just shut up and they finally do enact change. Because I can't see it happening any other way. Here's the the. It's not even like a, a a problem, I would say, but here's the thing I get a little worried about: is that this has a large short-term effect and in the long term does nothing. Because next year. I already told you my fear is that even though I genuinely absolutely love the film, if birth of a nation ends up winning 10 Oscars next year and, um, yeah, they will look we, like, a, then see, it will we're look, not racist. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. Here's the problem is we have that happen. And then all of a sudden there's this, this, you know, going overboard to look, we gave all of these Oscars to people of color. And but, then the next year, everything goes back to where but, it was. But beforehand. how many of those, those films of like prominent, like black actors and black directors, like fit into this, like there, there's this unspoken, it's, it's not even entirely unspoken, but it's kind of this presumption of what gets nominated as like best picture. And like, a friend of mine would would say is like you know if you're making a film that's black and white and about the Holocaust then you're you're probably going to get Best Picture if you're making and and the the flip side of that is like if you're a black actor and you're starring in a film about slavery or about um your your <laughs> home being gentrified or something of yours being destroyed or being a drug dealer or being a drug dealer <laughs> then you 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 are like the the, the epitome of pathos that you deserve yeah. to be recognized for that but there are so many other like there was a great uh, interview between um, Trevor Noah and Lupita Nyong'o, uh, who basically were interviewing one another, and they were just like, you know, we have to take a really hard glance at what exactly 
do we see as being like Oscar tier because we really have to broaden the scope of like who can play the starry eyed like outsider. Well, I have a question because uh, I'm thinking about it now. It was said in the ceremony. I don't want to play devil's advocate mm-hmm. at least and just ask what your opinions are. But when Chris Rock, uh, he was doing like a bit, so I'm not saying he's necessarily advocating for it, but mm-hmm. he does bring up an interesting thing, which is when he mentions the fact that, uh, that you like basically you wonder why black people don't get nominated so much it's like look at how we nominate women in their own separate categories mm. like is and i know this sounds like i'm not advocate but whatever but i'm just asking the question is that the answer like is that the only way we can move forward at least for now like do, do we just start uh segregating categories and doing like black uh, yeah, exactly. I, I, I totally, uh, I see what you're, you're getting that. Here, here's the thing, though. Like when you say it like that, like he did, it's eye opening because it's yeah. like, oh, um, it's completely true. And it's true, and it's, and it's like one of those things you hear it, and your just brain goes, that's that can't do that. Yeah. So, well, right, and we can't do it, and yet, if we're not doing anything else, then how is it more offensive to do something like that? If we're not like, what's more offensive? Recognition in its separate uh, categories, mm-hmm. or continually shutting out? Like you know, I think at one point, it, that's the sad state of the affairs here is that well, how, at a certain how, point, how far a down racist the, solution how, is our how, best. I mean, how, far how, down, many, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go with? How that? many delineations best, of this can best, you put? Best Asian actor, exactly. best Indian no, 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 actor. I, that's why I'm not saying the idea is practical no, right. to implement it. But I'm saying like that actually sheds light on the idea that like the best solution is essentially a racist solution because we're not going to actually get any other decent solutions anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just didn't know as far as like, do you think that there should be like non okay probably not then but like then on that mindset what else do we have to offer considering we won't like how else do we i don't want to say the word police but how else do we actually put in effect because they're not going to put in effect like laws that they're not laws but rules that regulations say you you must nominate at least 10 percent of you need to get i don't want that you need to get enough people believing that we actually need to do this. Like people saying the right things does not mean people believing. I mean, you talk about the U S as a, as a culture, you see culture shifts and they happen slowly, but one day you're going to be in a completely different place than you were 10 years ago. And you don't even notice it because it's been a slow change over a long period of time. Like look at where we are now with, um, LGBT rights and where we were 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah. And even though we're not anywhere near where we need to be, I feel like we're in a dramatically different place than we were 10 to 15 years ago. And it's something that people need to want to have the change. And just all of the people who are the millionaires in Hollywood saying they want to doesn't mean jack shit until you actually have people believing that. And that's what needs to happen. Enough enough people in the audience and that actually work there need to actually want to make this change. And it's just going to be one of those things that I feel like needs to just slowly, but surely people need to keep harping on because eventually the change will be made. Yeah. uh, Hopefully if people want it to. Yeah. I was going to say, unfortunately I feel like with 
you say slowly but surely because that's absolutely as far as what has to happen or mm-hmm. not has to happen but it's going to happen or whatever and yet I feel like we've gotten so slow that we're actually going backwards like mm-hmm. like a conveyor belt that just goes back around you know? because like somebody was bringing up uh, to me like like oh you know we're like um they brought up uh, Sidney Poitier because like, even Chris Rock brought up like like and that was like the joke was that you don't fuck with Sidney Poitier like even he was respected or whatever by the Academy mm-hmm. In theory, though, was he? Because his most famous roles was in the Heat of the Night, where he played a black detective going into a racist southern town and fighting racism uh, in that town. Guess who's coming to dinner? Where he plays a black boyfriend of a white woman who's bringing her new boyfriend to meet her very conservative parent. You know, I'm just saying, like these are the roles he's recognized for, and yet it is still a pigeonholed uh, African American narrative. So, are we anywhere but, further? But here's here's the counterpoint to that that I will bring up is that you say that we've gone backwards, and that entirely is a valid opinion, Mm. but at the same time, we are talking about it now. We are trying to, at least some people are... are. Right, we are. (laughs) I'm just saying, that's the problem. Some people are. Um, The Oscars spent their entire evening talking about it. Chris Rock did, at least, and other people made... But I, I will say that talking about it and having it being out there and in plain view and mentioned by enough people is at least a step slightly in the right direction as it's not just something that is shunned off like saying oh he's a great actor because he played a drug dealer or oh he's great because he played a uh you know a slave in this film like at least we're we we have made the connection that maybe just because someone's great as a drug dealer doesn't necessarily mean that they only can play drug dealers. Like, at least we're cognizant that this is a problem. We the, are. The, the no, whole. but... <laughs> but that's I, what I'm trying to say. Is... I, I, think, I think we are, but I think a lot of people in the culture are at least starting to at least get the message that maybe, just maybe, pe- a person of color, whether they be black or they be Asian or they be Indian or whatever, could play a role, possibly. Even if they haven't yet... Maybe they could at some point, but maybe not. Maybe maybe nobody's gotten that, and we'll just go right back to the same place in two years. So you're talking more about the future, yeah. As far as I like, mean, okay. if if you want to talk about right now, yes, like there's a, a long way to go, but there's always a long way to go, oh, no matter yeah. what you're talking about. So, oh yeah, I, I think just... that the the most apt quote to try to like condense that is, of course, from Martin Luther King, which was the moral arc of the universe bends long, but it bends inevitably towards justice. And I think that, that let's hope so. Yeah. I hope so. That, that that's the, that's the best. Yeah. Knock on wood. Like I firmly believe that. And I feel like, um, like before when, when this whole controversy came out with Stacey dash, I like, I wrote like a huge, like not Facebook rant, but like a Facebook like thing, just basically like, putting my heart out like what I thought about the whole thing whether or not somebody chose to boycott watching the the Oscars or not I obviously like watched the Oscars because I wanted to watch them um but inevitably I do think that we will have more something's going to give something's going to give and I'm I'm excited to see like not just more black actors being recognized. I want to see more Asian actors getting recognized. I want to see, I, I, I certainly can't see less. I, Oh <laughs> damn. Anyway, but like thinking about like what the Oscars represents is that it's one night and how long is the entire event? It was like three, three and a half hours, three and three and a half hours. And they are already kind of like trying to like strain to compress time. And I, I think that on, honestly, like 
Um, <laughs> fight the power plays over the ending credits. Dude, dude, fight the power by a public enemy being played over a montage of white people hugging <laughs> is, so is, the, is the sound of my soul dying, okay? <laughs> I, I was so... Oh, I thought you just farted. Shut up, dude. Oh, my God. I, way to... I can't, I can't... Way to keep the steam going there, man. Oh, my God. Uh, I... Steam. Yeah. Yeah, I... That was I, like a, that I, was like a I, double I, 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 can't, I can't even, like, go... After you said that, I can't really, like, <laughs> even put my thoughts together again. I'm just going to just say, like, the thing that I like the most about the Oscars and the thing that I didn't like the most about the Oscars, like, I like that Mad Max got, like, all those awards. I'm glad that Ex Machina got not, like, got an award. My least favorite part was, of course, fucking Bear Story winning over World of Tomorrow for Best Short Film. Yeah, that was pretty disappointing. That Wait a minute. Bullshit. I have to ask you, Tucson. Have you seen Bear Story? Huh? No. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. I haven't either, but... Yeah, okay. People want to see World, World of Tomorrow. I'm just giving you shit. Obviously, I love World of Tomorrow. Yeah. I have a signed one sheet from World of Tomorrow. Oh, my God. That's so, so awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, obviously, yeah, that should have won. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. haven't seen anything yeah. else in that category, but I stand by that opinion. Oh, I, I, wait. I substitute my favorite part for Anino Morricone being, a nom- being awarded and for that. And actually there. Yeah. That and, was pretty cool. And being actually there. And I know that, Alex, you made fun of him when he was, no, when I, he was being – No, I wasn't, I wasn't making fun of him. Shit. But unfortunately, I'm, I'm serious that the handler that was moving him pointed, and I'm pretty sure – mouth to him yeah. there's the stage yeah. like he honestly did not know where they were going yeah which is, well yeah I, I i found it to be kind of humorous yeah. but that was one of the things that was really cool where someone gets a standing o that actually deserves it at the academy Hell yeah, man. yeah yeah that, sure. that really that really touched me in my, in my heart because like without him like the entire spaghetti western genre would not exist as the way it is yeah. like he is an indelible like architect of that genre and you know what in true fashion of someone who actually has a rivalry with someone they work with he like sort of threw Quentin Tarantino's name in there in the middle just mm-hmm. a little bit and i I kind of, I kind of dug it. He did what? Yeah. I just don't remember. Uh, like when he was mentioning people who were important to him and yeah. who he thanked for it, he kind of thanked Quentin Tarantino, like in the very middle of it, not um, last, not first. He's only a blip. And, I, I, I understand that, but we, we, for what he won for, it right, was a, right. a major part of. He actually won for a Quentin Tarantino film, yeah, right. and they have some sort of a weird working relationship between them. So he, I, he, I, I kind of was a fan. He gave a hat tip to uh, John Williams, and I thought that was like that was cool. Man, that's that's Classic. that's a kind of class that yeah. like. We need more of. Just like uh, I'll really quickly mention uh, Mark uh, Rylands' speech. Uh, I thought, besides the fact that I was so on board for that win, um, who is also just to bring back to how I define best director, like that actually Mark Rylands winning for best supporting actor. That is the definition of supporting actor, which is someone who doesn't like J.K. Simmons won for Whiplash last year. Someone who is a supporting character who makes the film what it is exactly without actually like you could technically remember Tom Hanks more than Mark Rylance because he wasn't, uh, you know. So anyway, I just love it. But he it. affects the action of the film. Yes, and gives it the heart and soul because that final moment kind of rests on his shoulders even though he's not, like, acting, acting. Um, but his speech when he's, uh, when I thought it was just besides it was so well articulated everything, when he said that uh, line about how, you know, people ask if working with Tom Hanks make you a better actor, well, this is proof of that. Like, Hell yeah. you know, like, that's not just a hat tip, that's like a thank you, you know, and, and 
it was uh, such a classy way to say something we've heard before in a way I haven't heard it exactly like that, uh, which just probably shows how wonderful of a guy he must be. And now we're going to see Mark Ryland shoehorned into a shitty movie. So Please. awesome. Can't wait. Can't wait for that. Pacific Rim 2. What's his name? Oh, that was, it was Christoph Waltz. His first, uh, first film out of the gate was the playing the villain in the Seth Rogen film, The Green Hornet. Yeah. Really? Awesome. Shit, I can't even remember that. And I love oh, Michelle yes. Gondry. And we, even though he didn't win, just um, some like throwaway um, surveillance thriller. I think it's called Eye in the Sky. Uh, what's his name? Barkhard Abbey from oh. um, Captain Phillips is finally getting another role, getting thrown huh. into that. Even though he's yeah. not an actor, he's just a taxi driver who happened to get that role <laughs> in saying... I'm not. I'm the captain now. So. I am a driver now. <laughs> All right. I think we've talked way more about the Oscars than we needed to. We'll see you next and, week. Yeah. We, we we invited a guest here, and we just spent 40 minutes talking about something she didn't even watch, so we're really sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> so let's talk about something, though, that you know you do want to talk about, which is The Witch, uh, the horror film uh, directed by Robert Eggers. Uh, which actually was completed over a year and a half ago, I believe, and premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in 2015 yeah. uh, and received a long time. received some great praise at the film festival. And, One uh, best director. Yes, uh, which is a pretty, uh, pretty impressive feat, I would say. Uh, and then, finally, it gets its release and gets a wide release uh, in early, th- uh, early February this year. And uh, if you do not... Uh, know anything about this film another just absolutely terrific imdb uh, description this film the witch is about a family in the 1630s in new england which is torn apart by the forces of witchcraft black magic and possession were they really torn apart by that or by each other some guy just wrote this man this isn't like a real description this is just some guy writing this right yeah really torn apart by one thing that's black philip Does he really speak to me? This will not consume us. Who's there? You've cursed this family. This is witchcraft. She placed a curse on me. Why have you turned against me? I saw it. Your rate of evil. It's not safe. Not with them. Think how my sense. This film stars Anya Taylor-Joy as Thomason and also features uh, Rafe Ineson and Katie Dickey. Some fun names for you there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and who wants to start us off? I, I don't want to 
throw you right at the at the uh, you know right out there on the stage, uh, Jess. And so I think we should have Toussaint start and give okay. his thoughts because he was a fan of this film and he also loves the horror genre. So yep. why don't you start us off and then we can go to our special guest, Jess. After that, okay, sounds good. Um, well, first off, I want to just talk about how this film actually like got onto my radar. Um, because uh, one of my friends who is a film critic who is a, a huge, huge fan of the horror genre, so I kind of like defer to him for like recommendations and stuff. He actually went to go see this when it was going through the festival circuit, and I read his review, and the way that he worded it was so passionate and so like s- such a such a, a passionate for for this film that I was compelled to go see it simply because of that. Like, he- were you possessed? <laughs> was like possessed by it. yes like he, he described it as nothing short of from his first impression nothing short of a direct transmission from hell itself <laughs> and i'm not sure if i can like um match that 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 intensity of of a, of a recommendation but i definitely really enjoyed it and we we that it's been confirmed because that uh whatever that group the satanic group has said that yeah. they they praise the yeah. film yeah so. the satanic seal church. of approval yeah the, <laughs> the satanic church which is there's that's a whole nother can of worms like i i don't even like i don't i don't even take that really seriously it's more of like something just to get it's, it's, it's more to, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a headline grabber, it's, man. It's to get the Christian church's goat or Black Phillip. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, but speaking of the satanic, isn't this like the sequel to Spotlight? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, it is not the not the. What? God, that just threw me off. Anyway, just that, horrible that, religious. That, I was gonna say shit. that was that was Nick Cheney's Stacy Dash moment of the night. Way oh. to go! Man. Oh wow! Damn. Anyway, oh. anyway. Okay, so I want to talk I'm about this. You'll see. What's okay. that? Mm-hmm. Just wait. Okay. I want to talk about this um, on multiple levels, but first I want to talk about like uh, Robert Eggers' like deference to history and and putting so much work as a as a production artist turned like first time director. He put so much time into trying to like understand the historical context of like puritanical puritanical America and like just kind of like condensing all those attitudes into or at least the majority of those attitudes into one film and I thought that he did a perfect job of that simply because like you have this family who at the beginning of the film they are ejected from their their village okay they're ejected from their village I from what I believe for being too extreme in their religious beliefs do you you know how fucking extreme (laughs) you have to be to get kicked out of a puritanical American village Holy fucking shit. How extreme do you have to be? You have Sorry. to be really fucking extreme because their entire like belief system – I know you were joking, but I'm going to just j- jump into that. And I know you thought that was funny, Nick, but you were just – you're so angry right now that you tried hard well, you not to laugh. Well, you compared me to a racist piece of shit. So. Anyway, anyway, I was like, I'm just going to dig into the, the heart of that for itself. Like the, Purit- the, the Puritan belief system – basically spawns out of the idea of original sin. Like it takes original sin like to to 11. It just cranks it up to 11 and saying that every single person and it's alluded to in this film, every single person is born with something that they cannot extricate from themselves. They their very nature is in deference of 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 virtue of of being good and that the only way to save their immortal souls is to pretty much like condemn their their own like compulsions basically hate their own human nature in order to expel themselves of the faults of that and so far i'm on board it's it's basically like 
like a, like a great example of it is from like the Da Vinci Code, where you have like that really crazy like cultist guy who keeps on like self-flagellating himself. Like that is that puritanical yeah, ideal. Where's a fucking Salise? I mean, yes, that is. That is dedication right yeah, there, that's, man. That, that's, that's resenting your human body because it shackles your immortal spirit. And I thought that, like, I another colleague of mine, um, Jess Joho, like, wrote this really great, like, interview that she had with Robert Eggers, like, at one of the, the screenings and stuff, right? And he asked them because everybody has been going at this film as though it is a feminist empowerment film, right? That it's supposed to be about Thomasin and how her ascension from being constricted by the society and now she finally makes her own choice. But does she really make her own choice? Because she's conflict she's she's basically being being put into a position where she has no other choice but th- but to go forward with this one thing. And so she asked him, I was like, Did you deliberately go about like making this a feminist film? And he floundered for a little bit and just like it, until finally he kind of just like let loose that he was saying it's like, you know what? I didn't go at this for the sake of making a, uh, a a feminist empowerment film. I was just trying to make a Puritan witch film, and I feel like inadvertently I could not have made like I could not have made that film and not have made it in some way a, a, a feminist empowerment film. I, I got to admit, I've seen all these reactions of people yeah. talking about that aspect. Right. And- the entire time I was watching this, I never once got that there was any deeper what, meaning what, to this what a, movie. What about when a man also, if you if you just want to talk about that mm-hmm. argument, when a man says, here, let me show you all these delicious things that you could have and then sends her to the woods and – I mean, is that really feminist? No, 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 no. Like, I'm, I'm. Like, I think Eggers is being trapped into a corner where he can't exactly. deny it That's... because then that would be like saying like. It would almost be like painting himself as somebody who's anti-feminist, who yeah. I doubt he is, mm-hmm. because he clearly made, I think, a movie that is not concerned with it. Mm-hmm. But most filmmakers, or a lot of filmmakers, wouldn't confirm nor deny. They would just kind of, kind of. I think he sees the passion behind some of these arguments, and he can't bring himself to like. I would say dispel it because that's the that's the true danger of when a director opens his mouth is that like we look for confirmation and if he doesn't give it then like I know he could just deny it but he's saying he's saying something if he does deny but it. But here's why what he said that he's trying to make a puritanical witch film and that he by making that he could not by extension not make a feminist empowerment film in this time because like going back to why I even am talking about the idea of original sin is that in that Puritan like belief system, like everyone is born with a with original sin, but more so women in that system because the whole story of Adam and Eve and Eve tempting like Adam and stuff like that, like women and anything about them, whether they're they're their ability to to speak, their ability to read. She couldn't read. Um, their their sexuality, like their very being, is a, a it's like ma- an affront. Is, is an affront, a magnet to sin. So even when you have like all these men who are just like self flagiating themselves, they even as much as they hate themselves, they hate the core of women itself too because they see it as inextricable from sin. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So. That's just my opening like okay. thing. I, I I had to get that out because I thought that was like a really illuminating interview, and I thought I'm it was glad awesome. glad you did. Yeah. Hmm. So, so let's move on to uh, our guest Jess and and hear what she had to feel about the witches. This is right in your wheelhouse for the horror genre. Oh, yeah. So so let's hear what your feelings were. Well, um, first of all, I'd like to say that 
I was, I kind of connected with this film, not saying like I'm a Satanist yeah. or anything, not that that's like... Hey, we I don't, don't judge here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but like... We're all inclusive. I felt like the undertones in the entire movie was just like fear of not being accepted. Hmm. And that's what Thomason had like the entire movie. She was like afraid that they were going to like, you know, kick her out or... You know, that she was going to be banned from her family. Or, or she's going to be sold off to a, yeah. a man. Yeah, it was like everything she did was the wrong move. And, like, she was just, you know, at the end, you know. She grew with, breasts. Yeah. That's, it's just, that's, yeah. That's, that's why they hated her. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I mean, the brother kept checking those out. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you don't live with anybody else. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, you're just cold. <laughs> Everyone's just agreeing on it. I was like, yeah, I was like, I guess that happens. That's what happens when you cultivate that environment. Yep. Yeah. And uh, um, during, well, when I first saw the trailer for this movie, uh, it had all the reviews from Sundance. And like one of them is like, it feels like it's something that you're not supposed to be watching. Mm. And I, yeah, it felt, I mean, I loved it. I did. But it did, it was uncomfortable. Like, it almost felt like a private, a private part of, like, Thompson's, like, journal. Her, like, it was just, like, really almost intimate in a way. Because it was, like, her, you know, falling, you know, into this, like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Pit of sin. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. You know, like, it was, like. Oh, she's so afraid of sin, so afraid of sin, so afraid of sin. And when she finally gets to sin, it was like ecstasy <laughs> in, in a sense. And it was just, it was very interesting. Yeah. It's very much kind of, uh, I would say, intentional maybe, but like it parallels to the idea of coming of age, which is to yeah. be told what you're not allowed to do all the way up until the point where you get to see for yourself if it's something that doesn't you know it plays along with your parents narrative and, mm-hmm. and how scary that can be yeah i uh i i thought that the 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 scene where thomason actually like goes into like the forest like there are a lot of elements about this film that kind of reminded me of two films by lars von trier which was obviously antichrist and uh melancholia and her like being naked going into the forest kind of reminded me of um, that one scene where like the the main character is kind of like just like lying splayed out on the on the grass and she's in melancholia like, like in melancholia yeah. yeah it's like where she's just splayed out and she's just like enraptured by the moon or something like that like just in nature and like going again back to like the whole puritanical like sin idea like there is a a line from Antichrist that has actually been made associated to, to it that's actually rooted in the 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 Puritan system of belief that nature is the church of Satan. That like, this is when people came over to America and they saw that nature was, was unfurled. There was no way to to actually box it in. And they saw that as an affront to them because they wanted structure. They wanted society. They wanted civility. Right. And so they saw like nature as being this thing that was both beautiful and deceptive. I guess kind of like conflating that with the idea of women, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. And so they decided the only way to like free themselves of it was to subjugate it, to destroy it, to box it in. So I thought that that was something that definitely came through in this film as well. It's an interesting parallel. Yeah. I've, I've never – I guess I haven't seen those two films, so I haven't even made you my way into – I'm never going to watch – 
Antichrist again, only for just one specific scene that just makes me <laughs> penis. Yeah, yeah, that that's cut off. That wrecks me. Okay, that just wrecks me every day. To give the audience context. Yeah, it's mm, okay. It's not fun. mutilation. Yep. Okay. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Not but, not not cool. necessarily, but yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. yeah. Would you like to know more? <laughs> um, or do you have anything else? Do you want to say with your opening remarks, or do you want to pass it off? Pass it off. Okay. So um, I, if you have listened to this podcast, you may know that I am not a fan of horror films for the most part. There was a film that myself and Nick saw at Sundance this year. There was a horror film that I absolutely loved, which is one of the first horror films that I've genuinely really enjoyed. Uh, so this film, I went in with you know somewhat of an open mind, even though I assumed I was not going to like it. And I have to say, um, I thought it was pretty good, uh, but I still don't love it, which says more about my feelings for horror films than I think it does about this film in general. Um, I, I really enjoyed a lot of what this film was trying to do. A lot of the themes were very much um, sort of right in that sweet spot of not being over the top, but at the same time, not being so far away that you're teasing out things and landing on something that could or could not be what the director was going for. I feel like Eggers is, is giving you something here that is not hitting you over the head with it. Like the canteen in the Revenant, but at the same time is not so far that you're just reaching. So I, I really love that. And I loved a lot of scenes in this film as I do in a lot of other films that aren't my favorite is there are single scenes that I thought were absolutely stand out, including uh, the the old the oldest uh, son in the uh, when he's having almost his like exorcism scene yes. and he is sing- singing that song and then spitting out the or after spitting out the apple singing the song like that was so fucked up and yet <laughs> such an absolutely wonderful scene in a film I just just absolutely ate it up I love that scene simply because like and, and just to give context to that scene beforehand it's like it showed like the father and the son going into the woods to try and find out what happened to the baby who was abducted by the witch which I have to to, to mention even though it's a really fucked up scene like that and we haven't talked about it yet it's like that scene very early on was so fucked up. It, 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 that it, was that was legitimately frightening me, and not because I feel like the the worst part in the in talking about what you were saying earlier, Jess, about how you feel like it's a film you're not supposed to be watching. When I started watching this film and watching that scene, like I feel really bad saying this, but I feel like. When the knife appears, I'm like, oh, thank God. I thought it was going to be so much worse than that. <laughs> because, because it was built up in your mind. We see the naked baby, and we see this naked figure, which I, just at the point, had not necessarily made the jump of it as completely female, or if it can be. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and I was like, oh, my God, what is happening no, here? I actually, right? I felt that, too. Yeah. I was like, what is happening here? Yeah. And, and that's that's what's so fucked up about this movie, is that I saw the knife, and I... I was relieved. I was like, oh, good. It's like, oh, just oh, killing the baby. Oh, it's, it's just killing the baby. It's so we got to put up, that in the intro. Exactly no, how I felt about I it. Too. Yeah. And I feel like that almost would be like a popular opinion but, about that but part the, of the scene. So the apple, when it's coming out of his mouth, like when, when they come back from the forest and like the mother is like irate and the, the son tries to like save his, his father from like uh, an argument with, with the mother what I was saying is like, we were trying to find apples for you. I thought I saw an orchard and it's like, it's sort of this like little white lie that is meant in order to try and like keep this, the, the, the sanity and the, the, 
the the cordiality of this this family together and basically the witch the supernatural force is mocking that that the only way that we can keep peace is through these lies and so i'm going to unravel all of them and make you have to face the terrible awful ugly evil truth that you people fucking hate one another for the most petty and stupid of reasons and maybe this family needs to be torn apart so yeah Yeah, and there are a lot of other little things that I absolutely loved about this film. I mean, the the the, the twins. I think it, it's great, and that they're they're chasing Black Philip around earlier, mm-hmm. and even going um, something that parallels it that comes back later in the film that was I thought was just great because I didn't really care for the father as a character mm-hmm. or as um, you know sort of just the way he was written and also just that character in general. I have to say, this is probably bad, but when Black Philip gores him to death, I was like, you go, devil. And when like, he, <laughs> he knocked over the uh, the, the wood pile which, that he been... Which was another one of those things that was not hitting you over the head, but was a little nice little just symbol there that I just absolutely gravitated towards. But at the same time, uh, when when he's grabbing the horns of Black Philip mm-hmm. and slowly trying to get him back into the stable, I mean, when it comes back later in the film, it's just... It's really something special there for you. But going back to what I was saying about how I felt like still this is a horror film that didn't overly, I didn't overly love. I, I still just I was kind of bored at times in this when I was watching the film, and I wasn't loving all of the dialogue. And I, which is all in old English. Wait, yeah, and so that's kind of a takeaway. Not just that, which, but at certain points, are just literally unintelligible. Yeah. Like yeah. the sound design and, and <clears throat> yeah. But and it's it's something that I think a repeat viewing. This is a film that I will watch again. Like mm-hmm. I am interested in seeing it again. Um, I, so I think just on the first viewing, this is still a film that just confirms my feeling on the horror genre. That it is just unfortunately not for me. That here a film that I, I feel like if I was a fan of horror films, like this would be like a five out of five film for me. Like I, I can see absolutely why so many people love this film, but for me, it's still a film that I just think is really okay. good. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. I thought that the, um, just before I pass it on to, to Nick, even though it's not my turn, I was going to say, wow, I, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I just had to like, get this out. Those two twins, like the, the children that we're talking to, uh, black Phillip, like, there's something about them where their faces, the contours of their face, their their fucking smiles, their toofy smiles, the way that they smile just a little too wide. I thought that they... The way they frolic. The way that they fucking frolic. And it's just like, these kids are like the torchbearers. They're like the like the, the, the two evil girls from The Shining just like reached out of the reached out of the ring and just tag team these 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 two kids like come in and take up the mantle because they're just so fucking creepy they're they are calvin candy and his sister from django unchained oh <laughs> god you're right oh so at what age do they start having sex oh <laughs> well they can't now because they're dead. my beautiful sister <laughs> that same raspy voice <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so Nick, uh, yeah, I uh, I think it's your turn now. So why don't you go wow. ahead, man? Okay. So I I'm gonna stop saying that I'm not a fan of horror movies because I don't think that that's true actually. And I've said it on this podcast, but I th- this is the end of that era, and it's not because the witch is like somehow the the bridge between the gap of me not like I think it's just the fact that I haven't seen a lot, so it's like it's a hard genre for me to talk about in any encompassing way, uh, and yet. 
when it's done right, I absolutely love what the genre is doing. And this is clearly a case for me where it is being done right because it is like Jess had alluded to earlier. It's not concerned with because I know you said you didn't like horror movies of these days of like that have like jump scares and yeah, like there's just something um, overly simplified. I guess it's just like oh, it's not doing it because you know it's it's art or you know or that it's good or creative or anything. It's doing it to sell seats. Yep, you know and appeal to people that don't even care. I, I mean, yeah. there's a there's a definite genre of, of films that kind of came out towards, like, the late 80s, like, Grindhouse films mm-hmm. that were very much about that ex- exploitation, like, bent. Like, I thought that what that was a really interesting... But even those weren't made in the same way that they're being made in the last, like, 15 years. For, like, where, mass audiences. Those were to, niche audiences. And not just for mass audiences, but, like, we, we, we live in an age where the only way to sell a horror film today, besides poll quotes, even though I'm not convinced... Smash cuts. To, it's, no, no, not Smash Cuts. But besides pull quotes, uh, as far as – because I'm not convinced that the witch trailer did get, like, mainstream audience to flock to it. Although it probably did because I heard that there was quite a few walkouts and a lot of theaters. But the only way to genuinely sell a horror movie these days – so this is true when you think about it – is to show audience reaction shots instead of actually showing the movie. That's dumb. Yeah. Like, that, that's actually that. The, what sells tickets to horror movies I like how you say that's dumb. That's this country. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it... And you couldn't, like, do that to the witch. Because that's not a kind of horror that, like, it's not that you don't get physically uncomfortable, but you're not, you know, sitting there filling in the gaps of the stupid silence, yelling at characters. Even though all of them were my favorite films, I mean, just look at recent horror, though. We're seeing a trend, at least some horror films, that is definitely pointing in the right direction. It follows Babadook, Under the Shadow, uh, in this film, The Witch. Uh, really showing films that are single-serving, really strong horror films that are not films that are made to try to start a series. Like, nobody in their fucking right mind needs Paranormal Activity 6. They just don't. Or Insidious whatever. Nobody needs to see the third Purge film. Well, I'm going to go see it, but like yeah. that's that's for a very different reason. That's yeah. because you and your dad go see shitty movies all the time. So yeah, but I'm <laughs> actually kind of interested. Is in the, the Purge really a horror movie? I guess it's. I'm just saying, like I chose. I think the first one was patriotic movie. The the the. the <laughs> this is a whole another can of worms because I have a lot of feelings <laughs> about the Purge. Just the the, the, the the first Purge film is a house invasion like horror film that took on the mantle of this really heavy-handed i mean really heavy-handed like this if this was a cake if this film was a cake and 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 symbolism was like frosting it would just be like one 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 layer of cake and like five layers of frosting it's so heavy-handed i do love frosting so (laughs) but you're not supposed to eat all the time because then you get sick whoa hey no food shaming Uh, okay. Uh, so going back to Go what ahead, I was Nick. saying yeah. is that, yeah, The Witch really, really worked for me. I thought that this movie was scary in a way that I really enjoy, which is where I am like, th- there are movies that I don't even really like that are scary in the way that like, uh, they like make, they almost make like your heart like race faster or whatever. Yeah. This, I felt like my heart oh. stopped. 
oh, I was the gonna, entire movie. I was going to say, I feel like a film like we did an episode on, like The Vanishing is one that you're talking about, where you're like frightened, but not because you're scared of what the film is doing, but scared of what the film is saying, yeah, right? No, and that's part uh-huh. of it. I guess I was just saying, like, instead of like, like, this is the kind of horror movie where you're waiting for a scare that will never come, and that is infinitely more scarier than any scare, because yeah. you're left, just like these characters are, you're left with only yourself to, you know, to, to interact with and to, and to be scared by. You think witches are scary? You know what's really scary? The 18th century. Witch, please. So <laughs> I uh, said I was going to put that in the episode. There it is. Wasn't this technically the 17th century? Well, 1776, so that would be like the 18th century then. I thought it was 1600. Yeah, it's in the 1600s. Oh, the fuck. Puritans. Oh, God. 1630s. I suck. I'm sorry. Oh, boy. Aren't you an English major? What the fuck? That's why man? I said, which, please. <laughs> yeah. I'm an English major. I'm not a history major. Sorry. Oh. Uh, Same thing, right? Uh, yeah. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> you need English to read history. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. Shots fired. All righty. I'll put these guns back in my holster. But people don't read anymore, so it's okay, right? Yeah. It's just water I work in a library, so I technically have to say that's not true. People read all the time, and I have to help them with their goddamn ebooks that they don't know how to use. As, <laughs> I was going to say, as you're saying, people read all the time as you're winking at everybody. Was it? <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying to, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Please so, continue. So, <laughs> uh, The Witch is definitely the a movie that is scary in a way that I love. And it harkens back to, of course, one of my all-time favorite movies, which is uh, The Shining, or even, uh, I think you had mentioned it earlier, Toussaint, mm-hmm. uh, Andrew Zawalski's uh, Possession. Yeah. Uh, where things are just deeply unsettling on a human level, even though th- there are magic things happening in this movie that are certainly creating pretty horrific images. Like the scariest thing about this movie are the, the ways that these humans are interacting, right. uh, interacting with each other and interacting with the things that they can't control, which be nature itself. And that's why for me, like, Black Phillip will be like the villain of 2016 mm-hmm. for me because yeah. <laughs> the way this movie, I would say, makes the most mundane things scary because it doesn't actually try to like. So there are so many shots of like Black Phillip's face <laughs> where like all I would have to do is cut to it, and it's not a jump cut, it's not a, a smash cut, it's not hammered home by like some discordant like piano key, or whatever. It's just like, oh hey, look here's the Here's Black Phillip just hanging out on the compound. I'm, he will fucking tear your face off one day. I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm just imagining the like extreme tones in uh, Shutter Island playing behind as they show up. Dum, dum, yes. dum, dum, like, oh, maybe he's a villain. <laughs> and that's why like it, it, it only highlights the utter, like I would say, absurdity of everything that's happening here. Like it, 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 it all speaks for itself, and therefore that's like why it just completely gets ingrained into my head when I'm watching this as far as like I can't shake it and it it makes me think that like Robert Eggers when he was like looking for different types of elements to incorporate in this film he went to an animal consultant and they were like yeah I was like what's up Mr. Eggers and I was just I need the evilest looking fucking goat that you have well I've got this one guy named Black Phillip I'll take it that's fucking perfect I'll even put his name in there well here's the thing though like Black Phillip the the goat and we should talk about Black Philip the goat like I'm not just bringing this up you mm-hmm. know, yeah. over and over but like like his face like you can't beat that like as far as like if you design a creature <laughs> with CGI and not because of CGI but like you can't make a better 
smirk because I've never seen an animal have the ability to basically have this smug Donald Trump like I'm fucking better than all you pieces of shit <laughs> look that I just could not handle at all like I I cannot th- I, this is the only reason like this is uh, I would say this is finally I, I think we have a use for in- the internet and for uh, gifts because I cannot wait to see Black Phillip uh, gifts gifs whatever you want to call them because yeah. I'm not going to pick a dog in that fight um <laughs> Because just that, every face reaction, I'm sorry, like, but you, it, it's just weird. I couldn't get past it. Like, and that's the kind of, uh, and so just to bring it back to a broader view, but it was that kind of thing where, like, you they didn't have to, like, actually create, like, uh, they, they did most of that, I would say, in, like, post-production as mm-hmm. far as, like, how to light it all and how to somewhat finagle the score in there kind of subtly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just, like, it, it, it's essentially a Puritan drama where a horror movie Folk keeps, tale. like, accidentally creeping in. And mm-hmm. that's why I, I really liked it. We talked about um, a couple things that were, like, fucked up scenes in this film. And a lot of them were kind of subtle, as you were alluding to, Nick. But the, the the one that was very loud and right in your face uh, is the the mother who thinks she's breastfeeding uh, the the departed Baby. son who is uh, it's just actually it's a crow right mm. that is pecking away at her nipple and she's <laughs> bleeding from it and she is just laughing away and boy uh, but I, even I, that I, moment wasn't like loud like no it was okay, but, but but I'm just saying like that that's a huge moment that any other movie would have milked <laughs> for a lot more. <laughs> Uh, for a lot more gra- wow. <laughs> gravitas. That was amazing. <laughs> but, however, I mean, that scene, I was just like, okay, that was like, like, that was, I think that was one of the few times in the film that the director's like, all right, here's a fucked up scene that someone else would have thought of too. But, and it's, and it is not going with other parts of what this film is trying to be, but I'm still going to put it's, it in there. It's the horror it's a horror equivalent of a uh, of Fight Club, where they splice in pornography images into the negative. Like it's it's scary because you just generally have no idea that you just stumbled onto this image that like like we've alluded to earlier because of what the trailer, the poll quote say, like something we should not be seeing. But I but, I, I think that is that was the the one case in the film, the one very loud case for me of the director saying. Here's the one thing that anyone who l- loves this kind of shit here here is me giving you what you want because here is the one thing we're going to go holy shit that is fucked up and and going off of the like, whole comparison with like the the pornography splicing with uh with fight clubs like I don't think that it's entirely like I don't think that's entirely a one to one like comparison because like in in the case of fight club that's a non diegetic like no, element I was that's making a, a random that, that, no like, it's like, of course it's like how it interrupts the flow right there's a non diegetic element that interrupts the rest of this diegetic like like conversation that we're having with, with with fight club and then with with the witch like it's definitely like thematically dissonant with the rest of the film like it's it's really fucked up but like it's it, it's not that the entire film is fucked up it's that like for the rest of it, it's just for the rest of the film, it's just been playing this very low key, menacing kind of like stirring underneath the surface, and then it kind of like finally like pops up like a fucking shark, and then it just like dips down into the depths. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it drops all. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, just like I had mentioned a little bit earlier, like it's 
it was this the, the one time in this film that I feel like Eggers gave in a little bit to mm-hmm. to not not that it didn't go along with what the rest of the film was doing, but it was the one time where he's just like, you know what, I'm putting this shit in there. I I love it. Yeah, but I I guess I, it's more for like on a script level for me. Like I made the joke about it being like Fight Club, but in reality, it's it's the one time that the movie dropping all pretense mm-hmm. as to whether the people that we are following have any credibility to their belief system to yeah. the world around them, mm-hmm. and for one moment the facade drops pretty much. I'm not saying other horrific moments don't happen, but they don't actually – they still happen within something that they could reasonably be, I would say, uh, agree agreeance with, where that was finally the only time in which the movie, I think, was kind of tipping its hat to say what we are seeing might not be exactly how it's happening. Well, and I guess what I'm trying to say more is that I feel like that scene, even though I, I, I agree with you that it's not something that you would see in – name whatever horror film but i feel like that felt a lot more like something that i feel like i would see in a conventional horror film i mean i think there's a lot of things in this movie that are like kind of in a conventional horror film he takes the twins from the shining even the uh the seduction scene of the the young boy that's directly from the shining as far as the the bass to room 237 at the same same essentially says that room 237 is nature but but (laughs) i feel like the a little bit of the problem with that argument is that i personally don't feel like the shining is a conventional horror film either like i'd say as far as it might not be a conventional horror film but it's 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 in the general conversation of like horror film general talk. I mean, it's, it's arc follows along that of a, yeah. of a horror. Th- film. There's no really way to say that there is a conventional horror film because horror films have, you know, gone into so many subgenres that we have slashers, gores, uh, you know, ghost tales, macabre, uh, Gothic pieces, you know, like, so it, it's hard to say that it is or it isn't, but I feel like this movie takes so many familiar elements from, Horror films we've all seen, whether it's the twins, the seduction scene, uh, animals, you know, whatever, like the Kuja, whatever, mm-hmm. and then p- posits it in a situation that we are not prepared for because we, we've never seen that setting, so to speak, at yeah. least in a long time. Uh, and we haven't seen it quite, I would say, um, as literal because so many, especially in this recent wave of like Baba Dukes and it follows like so many horror films are operating on such a metaphysical level that like what you're seeing is like really supposed to be a stand in for some larger and grand idea. And it's not that I don't think that there can be a deeper meaning into uh, the witch, but I yeah. think what I just think is so great that a director didn't set out to do that because he genuinely wanted to terrify rather than philosophize. And that, that's what makes this whole thing so scary. A, a lot of people have been interpreting the the ending of this film as in is like are we supposed to like consent to evil then is like well in, in my opinion like especially from just like the, the the final scene itself like i kind of interpret it as like the evil that we the evil that we do in the name of good the evil that we perform in the name of love like 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 even going back to i'm gonna just come up with another puritanical idea like the entire idea of even the this this film like takes place historically like in in its in its time period before the Salem witch trials and around the time of the Salem witch trials they would have women like actually like stand on a cliff like when they're on like the uh the 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 east coast like they would have them stand on a cliff and they would have to 
jump off the cliff. And if they if their body fell to the rocks and they died, then their immortal soul was saved and it went to heaven. But if they ended up floating or doing some stuff, then they're a witch and we have to kill them. So well, yeah, there's no science. there's no good way to Pre- actually like come out of that situation. And so Pre- like pretty sure the uh, women falling were betting a thousand in that scenario. Exactly. <laughs> and, it, and it's and it's so fucked None up. No one so, wanted to reveal themselves. So so <laughs> Damn it. Really, what I think that personally, the thesis that I took away from this film is that the evil that we do in the name of love and the name the name of good inadvertently like tips the scale in putting our loved ones into the very arms of evil itself. Yeah. Um, so, Jess, something I wanted to, to bring up to you, um, Anya Taylor Joy, who plays Thomason, and uh, I think a lot of people have praised her performance, and including myself. I think she was the best part of this film and she's the main character in the film. How did you feel about her performance as uh, we, we see this quite often with an unknown being the main character, especially a female in a horror film. Did you feel her performance was well done in this film? And at the same time, do you feel like she's someone who can have staying power in either horror films or just films in general? Well, I, I really liked her performance. Okay. Um, I, I thought it felt very authentic like the whole movie just it felt like it wasn't even a movie it was like you know these were real people almost and like this was really happening and it didn't feel at all fake and i to see that with such a new actress is it's pretty crazy and i i would be fine either way actually like it just being like her standalone film Cause it was like the one that stood out, you know, like kind of like what they do with a few older horror movies, you know, they just have one actress and then she's just in it and she's gone. You don't see her again. Um, but I could see her breaking out and doing more, more movies, not necessarily horror movies, but there's definitely skill there. Dramas. Yeah. I mean, we, we see already with, um, Micah Monroe, who was the star of It Follows last year, already jumping in and uh, being the stand-in for Bill Pullman's daughter now in the Independence Day movie that's coming out later this year. And yeah, I I very much agree with you that I feel like she really brought something great to this film. And if she never appears again, like this will always be a really great performance to look back. But I, I think there's a really good chance we'll see her again in, I don't know what genre, but in something that's... Um, you know, a film of note. So yeah. cool. What about what about you guys? Did you did you like her performance? Did you think she she brought something really special to the table in this film? I think that she brought a an air of of innocence, of being demure, and and trying to just like make sense of this this horrible situation first off like just just going off of the actress herself and more into the character i thought knowing like going into the film and already knowing like what puritan society was like like and for her to like mock uh her little brother and her little sister with like yeah i signed the devil's like black book around i'm just like what the fuck are you doing that's gonna come back to bite you in the ass so hard girl do you think they play out here they don't play out here with that shit you're gonna end up getting your face smashed in with rocks okay shit um but not not if you stab your mother in the head first oh my god um (laughs) yeah that that was like that, that that was the equivalent of the the cassandra moment where like look look behind you or like you really shouldn't be that dumb 
You really shouldn't be this dumb in a horror film. You're not allowed to do that. Um, yeah, I, I think that she's really going to break out, whether or not it's in, in horror films. Honestly, I'd be happy if this was her only horror film and she branched out into like doing different types of genre stuff or even just dramas. Like She's, she's definitely got it. I'm looking forward to it. I gotta say, I, I wouldn't say I'm in disagreement with anything that's being said here, but I, I wouldn't say I got anything special off of her. Mm-hmm. But I, I say that in a way that because I think that the actors were, like, in this movie specifically, were merely tools to get to, like, these kind of, to this environment. And in a way, like, they, they, they were kind of much like the characters were powerless. Like, I, I don't know that these actors were able to truly bring something to these roles that other actors couldn't have bring. Mm. Uh, I'll only slightly disagree with you because I, I in genuinely kind of agree with what you're saying. Uh, with her, I guess I'll, I'll take her as her own character because her is Thomason and her, her, her portrayal of her, I feel like that's a little bit different for me at least because I feel like she goes through so many different emotions throughout the film and I think... Uh, Anya plays her so well in terms of whether it be sad or whether she's angry or she's being sarcastic or we get the, the I think phenomenal moment at the end when she's just decided whether or not for the right reasons to embrace this sort of be- becoming of a witch, the, at least this it, fatalistic and, choice that she's been groomed into and this almost like just scary laugh that she's having as she's ascending into the sky and then the the film ends. And I, I just feel like even if you know, there are other people who could have accomplished the same feat, I feel like uh, her playing the character and her giving those moments to Thompson, um really made what the film was for me in those certain moments. And I, I thought she was fantastic in this film. I want to just like talk about like that last shot, especially with like the, the Sabbath of witches that kind of like lifting themselves into the air and Thomas and herself lifting up, like immediately, as soon as I saw that, like I thought of this one painting that I've seen before by Luis Ricardo Falero. Um, that's from like the 19th century. And it's uh, called witches going to their Sabbath. Like it was painted in 1878. So if you ever like, after you after you're done listening to this podcast, like like definitely look that up because I feel like All it's almost seven of you. <laughs> I, I feel like it's a it's a. I almost feel like that that scene in that we, film. We, we hate ourselves here. <laughs> I almost feel like that scene in that in in this film is almost a direct like parallel like inspired by this painting. It's so close, and I just I I, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Um, one other thing I just want to make note of, like, because we haven't really talked about some of the technical, like, uh, things that have actually gone into this film. I thought that the indoor lighting with, like, the single, like, like candle flicker and just, like, being able to go around the entire table while people are, like, eating dinner. And I, I thought it was beautiful. I thought that this was very reminiscent of almost, like, classical chiaroscuro painting in that it had this really warm source that was kind of, like clotted with darkness so many people talked about only using natural light in the revenant which is a film that i obviously love as we've Mm. talked about on this episode and many other episodes actually already which is kind of sad because it's only been out for two months or whatever but i mean it seemed at least very clear to me that natural light was a big part of this film in terms of how it was shot as I'm sure there was a lot of artificial light used at certain points, but I really think trying to keep that tone, um, a lot of natural light used in this film. 
Yeah, no, I mean, the, some of the, like, what you were saying, Dusant, mm-hmm. uh, the, the shot of them at the dinner table is kind of amazing because, like, the black level's there mm-hmm. uh, as to what's the basically silhouetting right. just their one little flame that could go out at any minute, mm-hmm. uh, metaphorically speaking, uh, because that's the only thing that's really allowing them to see each other. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, some of that framing and some of the use of natural light. That's why I think like something like The Revenant is going to get talked about for natural light, but it's easy to shoot natural light when you're just shooting your movie outside in the wilderness. It's under... also easy when you have $140 million. Right, that's what I mean. <laughs> but like for them to be able to capture that and still make it look like only that one candle is somehow illuminating everything and yet still being able to see every figure like that that's just kind of like a, you know technical mastery in my movie opinion. magic yeah yeah um yeah um i, I want to go back really quick to what i was saying about the uh the person who plays uh thomason okay because um, we went off a little bit but just to, because you said you disagreed with what i said and then i just i want to rebuttal in the sense that it's not that I think she did a bad job or anything like that. Um, and you were kind of going through the gambit of, like, she was able to portray sad and, like, these all these emotions. And which, I, which actors and actresses, that's what they do. And that's so. my rebuttal is that, like, that's what I – like, she did her job. And, like, it, she yeah. was never not convincing of what she was doing. But she – it wasn't some kind of, like – I mean, there are horror performances that are, like, I will not be able to shake. And, you know, and maybe Before. because of – what? Like euphoric performances. Yeah, and yeah. like I brought up the movie earlier, but I'll just give a shout out just to give an example. But uh, Isabel and Johnny in um, uh, Possession by Andrew Zawalski, that is a movie in which her presence makes that movie. Like if she wasn't in it, that would be a different movie. That and, subway scene yeah. that was like recently um, – that re- re- actually recently went on to inspire like a massive attack um, – like music video called Voodoo in My Blood, like starring uh, the the leading actress from I think it was Gone Girl, Rosamund Pike. Rosamund yeah, Pike. Rosamund Pike. Yeah, she was actually in that music video, and I thought that like, and and he actually recently died now, so it's so awesome to see like his visual like legacy being like recapitulated in a different format so soon after his own death. Like that's I thought it was incredible. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, it's, like, a performance like Isabella Johnny in there or even Shelley Duvall in The Shining. Like, I, I I can't separate that actress or those actresses, I should say, from those performances. Whereas, like, I don't know that I, I, I could say the same thing about what she's doing here. And I think that that's totally fine. Like, it's not even like I'm trying to insult the movie because I don't think this movie is as concerned with the specifics of these characters that an actor or actress can really get into because that's why half the dialogue is unintelligible. And I don't mean that they simply speak in the old English because they do, but like legitimately the sound design is crafted in a way where half the time what they're saying doesn't actually matter at all because mm-hmm. it's more about their relationship with nature. And if they like, if they didn't speak a word, it would still be the same movie practically. I, in my opinion, uh, you could still convey the same kind of ideology. If you only had like that opening scene with the trial, even if you just kind of moved into more of a Terrence Malick like horror fest, where it's just them out in nature chopping wood and spitting up apples, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's like just stuff you do on yeah. the on the afternoon, like the Saturday afternoon with your dad. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I, that's that's all I'll say as far as like I don't know that it's a star making performance. However, like I completely want to see what she'll do next because I want like. 
I want to see what she'll do next in the sense that I feel like she has promised, but she's in no way delivered it yet. Okay. And, but I don't think that's entirely her fault. I think it's part of Egger's direction to keep everything on this unspecified kind of canvas that we can project our own fears into. Like, uh, Because I, I just think that n- nobody really, besides they have names, they have very basic uh, characteristics. You know, the, 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 the little boy likes breast and uh, the father is kind of a hard ass and the twins are shits yeah you know the mother misses her baby loves to chop wood too right they all have their own little conflicts but both of those conflicts are dominated and i would say and our reactions to the plot itself and not as much of an internal thing as like an actor and actress could really actually do something with so that's what i meant by i don't really see her as something that i'll remember about this movie that was a really terrific explanation so thank you for giving it yeah. thank you are there any other kind that you you have i'm trying to think no okay <laughs> okay um why don't we go to or tucson did you have some you wanted to bring up yes yes i did oh, okay okay so like one final <laughs> note that i really wanted to bring up that i don't think that we've talked a lot about is like we've talked about the climax with like thomason actually going into the forest and like meeting the sabbath and ascending into witchhood but i don't think we've really taken a lot of time to unpack like her final like consultation, her her meeting in the place of the skull, so to speak, with Black Philip as sort of like this conduit for which, Black Philip through through which like either Satan, the devil, or the witch, or 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 some he's ma- worse than all those or, combined, or or some malicious otherworldly force that we do not have a name for, like that just exists in the human id, like the, like she's talking to him, and I just love his dialogue, and I love the fact that. The camera is trained only on Thomason's reactions to, like, Black Philip speaking. And then it's just like, would thou like to live deliciously? That was so – it just dripped with so much malice and so much just, like, seductive quality to it that I feel like that pretty much embodies, like, what evil was supposed to represent in that sort of case. And then you see, like – and going back to the whole, like, Puritan, like, Fotels, like, and then it pans down to him and his black book – where you actually like see it, and then you hear the faintest like sound effect of like this twinkling kind of like fairy tale like dust, and I thought that was simultaneously hilarious and fucking terrifying. Yeah. Like, oh my god, you're about to sign the fucking Satan's black book, yeah. and become a fucking witch. I guess I kind of want to ask, what what do you guys think of that black? book because all i could think of was that if she had seen harry potter she would have known that all she has to do is stab it with the basilisk tooth well <laughs> nick there, there of- is no harry potter because if she had been caught reading she had been burned at the stake there are a lot of bas- especially a book about witchcraft especially that they'd have she they'd did. have found a way to burn her corpse might after have, being burned she'd be might, a shit creek without a wand yeah. ba- basilisk's uh, tooth might have been kind of tough to come by yeah um no, unfortunately, that's, all, that's all i could think about though that it was tom riddle's diary for some reason i know <laughs> unfortunately unlike in the wizarding world a uh the tool you need is not just happens to be right there next to you. You can't just neglect a Neville Longbottom when you need him to you, help out. You can't just go to fucking Ace Hardware and get a fucking basilisk tooth, okay? Yeah. Like, I feel like Back to the Future right now. Yeah. I'm sure in 1985, plutonium's at every street corner, but here it's kind of tough to come by. But, but then you'll actually like go to the <laughs> hardware store and you'll off. see some dumbass who's trying to like throw themselves in between like a, like a wall, trying to like get to like platform three and, and something quarters in order to get their fucking basilisk tooth. Whatever. But anyway, 
but I was being <laughs> serious when I say, like, what is the Black Book to, like, is it supposed to be, the, like, a specific... The Black Book is pretty much the equivalent of, like, signing a contract with the devil and revoking your immortal soul okay. and your chance of being able to go to heaven. And I also liked, like, eventually it just transformed to this presence, like moving behind her and you never like see them and she's like all you need to do is just sign the book and she's just like but i can't write she she lives in a society where she cannot write or let alone read and he just like puts his gloved hand on her shoulder and says i will guide thy hand and i thought <laughs> oh my god that was so oh. fucking creepy black yeah. philip over here yeah i <laughs> start calling I, you that i fucking love that uh <laughs> Now, Nick. Anyway. Uh, um, I didn't come up with the name. <laughs> I'll say something. This is what happens when a white puritanical family names one of their animals Black Phillip. Yep. I will say this. Um, I, I don't – I obviously think it is a lot easier to grasp on to what the Black Book is. I mean there's the, the obvious of what right. Tucson just mentioned about it's what it Paul is. the Paul Verhoeven film Black Book. <sighs> no. Anyways, can we, can we go an episode without bringing up fucking Paul Verhoeven? Not if you keep bringing up titles of Paul Verhoeven films. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to have a list. We're going to have to fucking put Can't. it right there behind Nick's head. And every time you look at him and talk to him, you'd be like, oh, fuck. Oh, it's like, yeah, we're going to talk about Robum. Like, you know, this, Robum? This, what the fuck is that? I don't know. I was going to say, you could have at least said something like, you know, these characters really need to check out their like basic instincts or something. Ah. Like, come on. Yeah. I, I will say, though. Showgirls. I, 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 yes. Uh-huh. Choice I just randomly say that. Just, just randomly showgirls. <laughs> Speaks for itself. Yeah. That, uh, that, uh, that father sure was a hollow man. <laughs> uh, now we're just getting really cheap. This is my favorite episode ever. <laughs> so, uh, one thing I will say, though, I, I do think there is a little bit of a parallel with that, um, just a little bit, to like the the briefcase with the the golden sort of hue in Pulp Fiction, where it's a MacGuffin. No, not necessarily even like a MacGuffin. Like like it it is whatever you want it to be. Like mm. like. The viewer can assign meaning to what the book is, even if it has an obvious literal parallel. It can be whatever you want it to be, and it and it could work on a lot of different levels for whatever the viewer believes it is. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. But that was all I, I oh. had to say. I, I really just wanted to like unpack that Black Phillip like confrontation because I thought it was uh, impeccable. I thought it was great. Mm. Yeah, just uh, I saw I saw you kind of. Like stewing, like you had something else you wanted to say. Did, did yeah. you have something else you wanted to throw up before we go to ratings? Well, yeah. Um, I, uh, I've i noticed with like It Follows and uh, Babadook and now The Witch that there there's this, I don't know, this feeling that the music, the score, is a character mm -hmm. in the movie. And like it kind of goes back to, you know, Halloween 1978 where... What would that movie be without its score? And I feel I, I feel like the score for Halloween has survived long past yeah. the actual film. Yeah. yeah, but it's like it brings a whole new tone to it. Like I I felt like the score was just terrific in The Witch and it just like it added this whole creepy undertone that I'm not sure you would feel without it. And I like when horror movies have that. It's such a simple concept to add it, add to the movie to make it even more creepy. Scores are so like indelible from visual media in that they kind of like they they kind of like guide us 
through the emotional beats of what's actually going on on screen. Like a great score will actually like bring out the the character of those characters that are actually on screen. It will actually like milk like what is actually meant to be felt from this film. <laughs> as, and, t- and- as Tucson and Nick at the same time are miming milking like with a nipple wow this is i maybe i was just fabulous yeah maybe maybe that was just i don't want to no just stop okay um do we do we want to do we want to webcast these i think that might be a good idea uh, so everyone can see what we're seeing yeah sure sure but I, i i i totally agree with you jess like when we reviewed uh it follows like earlier like last year i thought that disaster pieces score for that was so so impeccable it it could not have not been in that that it could not have been in that film like i i i think that 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 alex like brought it up when we were reviewing it that like he did not care for that film and that's fine but he was just like just speaking for you that you fucking love that score yeah i mean the score for it follows was absolutely fantastic and i I think that is one of the thing, one of the parts of that film that transcends its genre. Mm-hmm. Just like I feel like a lot of parts of of the witch, for for me, transcends the horror genre as well. Mm-hmm. Even though I like this film much more than I liked It Follows, because I did not care for that at all, really. Yeah. But I feel like the the score in that film just was the star of the show, which is. Even though we were, as you guys were just alluding to, score is such an important part of films, but it should not be the star of the show. Which, unfortunately, I felt like that was for me. Mm. But yeah, the the score of It Follows was absolutely fantastic, and it was the the one shining part of that film. As I we we've talked about this, and it, it was a total fucking train wreck. So that's mm. fine. Yeah, he. I, I assume you liked it. Follows quite a bit. No, I did. That I, was like my number one favorite film yeah. of the of the year, and yeah. that was. Alex's top disappointment. No, no, it wasn't my no. top disappointment. I, I thought it was the most overrated film of that's, the year. Yeah, last that's year. what it was. Yeah, I, yeah, we we we've talked about it at length uh, yeah. multiple times, and Jess Hip probably hasn't heard it, but I, I have I have reasons for why I do not like it. Follows, mm-hmm. and a lot of them have to do with that I don't really like horror movies, but yeah, I just um, didn't care for it. So, it's but okay. yeah, the score of it is great. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, for for a horror fan like. I I love horror as a genre entirely. Like it was a callback to old are, no, horror. Are we are we talking about disaster pieces scoring? It follows. follows. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm just defending it a little bit. No, you you don't <laughs> have to defend it. I I'm very much <laughs> no. in the minority of, of people no, who okay. don't like the film. So I'm you... just like the reason why I liked it so much was because of all of the uh, the callbacks to original horror. You know, like the classic. You know score that you had that made the movie and people like the, the pool, it to the, carpenter the pool yeah. scene with um yeah. unforgivably bad cgi oh <laughs> wow <laughs> i wouldn't say it's unforgivable but you know your mile it, it your was mileage, very bad your mileage may vary your mileage may vary i, mean, I did I, not think I, it was good i thought it was awful too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we're just going deeper and deeper into that rabbit hole yeah, yeah. Um, going back to the score of The Witch, because I haven't made a comment yet, so I'll just jump in and say that I absolutely love the score for The Witch in the way that it, like, without the score, this movie wouldn't be scary. I'm not saying that it doesn't have scary images, obviously, but yeah. uh, it, without it creating this discordant uh, environment uh, with things uh, completely 
completely in conflict with each other, whether it's these humans in the middle of nature and uh, magic versus, you know, uh, actual rational thinking. Um, what I love about it is that it creates, it makes the movie scary and it, it never actually punctuates anything that should be scary. And that's the ultimate, like, crowning achievement for me for what a score should do and i think it follows to the same thing which is that like it had this weird creeping sense of dread but also is like disconnected from like what you were supposed to actually find terrifying uh about the movie itself so so yeah yeah cool so do we we want to go to ratings anything have anything they want to throw out as a round table i've already like unpacked everything that i i love about already this emptied the gas tank pretty oh, much already done yeah nice yeah classic black philip <laughs> okay <laughs> don't talk about tucson like that he's here <laughs> come on man See, right. this is what i'm talking about <laughs> okay can i do you want me to go let's quickly? go to Please, tucson Phillip. to start off ratings okay so i've already pretty much <laughs> like I've already. <laughs> oh God! Please do the entire in, ratings in, in, in Ba voice. Ba, I think. No, no, please. I, I, was, I, was, I was kidding. Don't do that. How I, many don't... Babadooks do you give this? Oh, movie? Oh my! I give it how many Babadooks? Um, <sighs> that's another. That's another callback to something. Yeah. That Alex hated when we were in that episode going to rate the movie. I will not. Many, I will not do instead that. Instead of stars, we were going to do Babadooks. I will not do that. Okay. One, two, three, Babadooks. <laughs> Okay, so I've already kind of like unpacked what I thought that this this film was. I think that like ultimately the core of its message is that the evil that we do in the name of love ultimately uh, destroys that love and pushes our loved ones closer into the clutches of legitimate evil, which even though like it's more primal and pure, it's also sort of indifferent and impartial and that it's really trying to just like draw people into like – indulging their own like predilections and fantasies and their own like sense of sin i guess it it it, it really it really is it's not a glorification of sin it's more of just like how there is a way in which that you can attack like how you can, you can actually attack the topic and approach the topic of sin but like trying to meet it head on by just meeting force of force will inevitably negate itself and just become sin itself so I thought that was masterful. Um, I think that uh, Robert Eggers is so far like one for one. He's he's a he's a good director in my book. I can't wait to see his next film, whatever it is. Uh, I'm going to give this uh, a four out of five. I really enjoyed this film a lot. So yeah, excellent. I mean, I, really quick before we move on to to Jess, um, yeah, I I feel like this right here with his sort of outing with this film is, is his directorial feature debut. Yeah. Right. I think so. Um, even though the other person I'm going to, to parallel him to and bring up is not someone who hadn't directed a film before or, or was a completely new person into the, the film industry. But the the person I'm going to uh, bring him up with is Alex Garland, the director of Ex Machina. Yes. Who I feel like we're going to see a, a film of much, not larger prominence, but he's going to get uh, more opportunities to do what he wants to do, whatever that may be in his next project. And I'm very interested to see both Alex Garland's next film and also Robert Eggers' next film. Annihilation is going to be so fucking dope. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. Um, but yeah, it was like that. that was my rating. Cool. Yeah. All right, moving on to Jess. Well, um, (laughs) (laughs) I, as, like, big-time horror movie fan, like, it 
it definitely stood out to me. Um, I wouldn't give it a full five just because it isn't the kind of movie that you just, you know, lose yourself in over and over and over again. And that's kind of where I stand with my five star ratings. So I would also give it a four out of five, not to copy you or anything. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very sting- copyable. I'm very like stingy with my fives. And, yeah. yeah but, so. If you really yeah. wanted to copy Dusan, you would have given it a three and a half out of five. Fuck you. But he is kind of right. Though. <laughs> he actually is right. Yeah. But like the fact that it was original and, you know, it, it made me feel things I didn't quite feel before with a horror movie. I'd say, yeah, four out of five. That's a winner. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you feel that this really accomplished what that that original original review you talked about reading that oh you feel like you shouldn't be watching that do you feel it actually is is true? Yeah. 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 No. It 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 felt that way. Like um, a lot of people walked out of this movie. They were uncomfortable, and I mean, I like the discomfort, <laughs> like as I'm big on the horror genre. But uh, yeah. It was great, and yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> Terrific. Uh, really quickly, before I, I give my, my rating, there's something I said I was going to bring up when we did this episode, and I'm going to do that. And that is my distaste for people bringing their little children to horror movies. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Can we <laughs> stop with that already? Because this is the second time that is prominently I've seen a row of little children under the age of five or six the first time being the seventh Saw film, which was a much worse offender than this film, I think, just from a visual level. But holy shit, whoever you are, parents out there, what the fuck is wrong with you? Just stop doing that. Like, in public. What are we supposed to do? Get a babysitter? Yes! <laughs> Yes, or, or, or wait for it to come out on video on demand yeah, yeah. and put oh, the kids in a different show. room. Oh, well, why or, would you put the kid in a different room? Because you don't want them to see a child getting murdered. They need to have, learn. Having their blood splayed over an old woman who's like either churning butter or masturbating in a darkened corner. I couldn't tell. <laughs> That's the winner right there. That was a good one. Uh, um, yeah, I, I'll I just, explain the difference, by the way, after the podcast. <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh, man. You really want to come back and do another episode with us. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just, I I can't do it, man. That's, that. I just can't even, just, that's all I have to say about it. Like, what the fuck? I just can't even do it. Uh, when it comes Thank to, God they're listening to this yeah, podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't don't think. Out uh, of the millions, they chose this one. These, yeah. these five-year-old children who wanted to learn more about film. I thought you were talking about us at first. <laughs> These five-year-old children talking about films. I mean, that's pretty much what it feels like. Yeah. We're basically Stephen King's The Body as a podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, Literary so- references are going to go right over my head. Stand by me. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> See? about that. Yeah. So I felt uh, this film was a really well-done horror film that I, I think was still a really good film, but highlighted why I, I don't love the horror genre that there just was a lot of things that people say that they loved about it that I just couldn't truly connect with with this movie at the same time there were a lot of things that I, I did connect with and I really liked a lot of the symbolism as I mentioned earlier was not hit over the head like other horror films or just films in general but at the same time wasn't so subtle that it wasn't really even there unless you've watched the film 17 times and also too I thought the performances 
were subtly very good and they fit really well with what a film in the horror genre should try to do. So I was a fan of this film and I can see my rating raising for this film on a repeat viewing. This is one of the very few horror films that I am going to make it a point to see it again. So, uh, but for now I will give the witch three out of five stars and say that, uh, I was a fan. Nice. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess I will finish it off. And that would appear to be where we are. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a more elegant transition, but you didn't. So, <laughs> go ahead, man. Oh. <laughs> well, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I absolutely dug what it's trying to do, and I think it succeeded at doing. Um, and this is the reason why this kind of horror movie works for me, besides the aesthetics, which is yeah, like but lack of jump scare or whatever, which doesn't mean that it's not scary because I thought it was. But, like, besides the fact that it's visually uh, speaking a language that I find scary, it's also its its theme or its central core for me is that it's, it's the kind of horror that, like, has one simple message, which is that, like, confirming your worst fears. Like, if you spend your entire life defending or establishing, like, a belief of ideals that... Uh, makes room for something like sin or evil, then that's only going to be more horrifying when you find out that it is real and that you cannot escape it. And the more you give into that narrative, the more you're a prisoner to it, and the more it's just going to fuck you up. And like you'll be undone by your very own uh, your beliefs. And so that's why I absolutely love what this had to say, and I kind of... I'm not going to at all say that it's an intentional parallel or anything like that, but what you could read into this movie uh, with regards to uh, certain religious groups and hate groups or something, you know, like that, like they're most scared of is actually not what they say they are, but really of themselves, you know, like I, I just absolutely dug that entire central message and whatnot. So I, I'm going to give it a four Baba Dukes out of five Baba Dukes. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. Hopefully that'll that'll bah, come bah, full circle yeah. and I'll just start doing that for every episode like Hopefully. you guys talked about. Hopefully. Oh, man, that would be awesome. Let's just do it for every horror episode. Here we go. Because they're so, like, once in a million. It's either, it's either Babadooks. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, I was going to say, let's back off just a little yeah. bit. Okay, let's talk there about horror. There are genres film. we haven't even touched yet. And or we've done... Just into the ear of there we film. go. <laughs> <laughs> do it, do it yeah. succession. Just catching on to, <laughs> yeah. to this terrible culture we've created here. <laughs> the culture that we've cultivated. We've done It Follows. Yeah. We've done The Witch. Mm. We've done It We've done Babadook. We've done the Saw film. We've done the Saw film. We've done Scream. Oh, yeah. There's five right there. That's 10% of our output. Boom. Even The Vanishing can be kind of shown as a horror film. So So that's quite a high ratio. We have not done really a single. We haven't done a musical. We've done one documentary. We haven't done a Western. Right. Um, We haven't done. uh, So there are. You yeah, know, you, you just back, pipe down over the back mister. the fuck off. Okay, I'm just I'm just always going to be like and the we, devil's advocate ooh, of the horror genre. My, on this, my favorite, on this podcast. my favorite genre, the gangster genre. We've done two films of, so that's and right. We're, we're done with that, right? What an asshole! <laughs> I want to do more gangster films anyway. Yeah. I was gonna I'm say, just kidding. what oh, was the first we, one? We, Black Mass. Oh yeah, <laughs> we, we try to forget yeah. about that. Yeah, it was, a, it was not a good movie. Yeah, we could I could have forced you guys to do an episode on Legend. You could have forced me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's think carefully how we use that word. <laughs> that, that that was shit. 
Yeah, it was. That's all we need to say about it. That would have been a short episode, and it, it would have just been all of us going around saying that is shit, giving our one-star rating, and being finished with it. Excuse me, one Babadook rating. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, well, thank you very much to Jess Singer for joining us for again. up with our shit. I know. It was in, you know, it was really great that you were able to join us for this episode, and it, it's always fun when we have a full table here, because uh, when it's just the three of us, not that we... It gets weird. We put a doll up and everything. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? Creepy. We, yeah. we lock it down in the basement, actually. <laughs> the basement. Woo, boy. This is really, really finishing on a high note here. People who live under the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, thank you to, to Jess for, for being on this episode and then never coming back again. <laughs> and uh, also, thank you to the, uh, the listener for listening on our next episode. We'll have another guest, uh, perhaps, if she she decides to still join us, if she's actually listened to any of our other episodes. Uh, and this, that is uh, Anna, who will be joining us for our episode where we'll be talking about our third Quentin Tarantino movie, which is Django Unchained. I'll bring the white cake. Thank you, Black Phillip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that will be coming up on our next episode. If you want to get in touch with us at Film Tank Show, you can always find us on uh, our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes, where you can hear all of our episodes. Or you can uh, reach us at filmtankshow at gmail.com, where you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. So from our guests, Jess Singer, myself, Alex Diekman, Nick Cheney, and Toussaint Egan, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> wow, that was like, you were like, you were like, like, gargling on it. <laughs>